1: Talent has a greater scope than all the other poets And yet you've lived the smallest life
0: Family is everything It's love, not ambition that will blossom in this garden Well, something has to I'm not a good gardener, it's true
1: My husband thinks you've come home to die
0: I've just bought a pension I can't die for at least ten years or I'll be ruined You went to London and became this great writer With a wife at home, you were hardly here To us, you're a guest Good night, husband Retirement hasn't exactly brought the peace we might have hoped for. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that wants to be boozy, floozy Rachel Vice when we grow up. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my merry wife of Windsor, Chris File. Hello, Chris.
1: Oi! (laughs) oi what's all this then it's gonna be a uh, very Kenneth Branagh episode
0: very much so a very Kenneth Branagh episode for what could be a very Kenneth Branagh Oscar season so we are uh, being very uh, on on point and of the moment right now with this bringing you all is true our least existing movie we've maybe ever done this movie has always (laughs) seemed like a rumor uh a fairy tale a, a urban legend that you tell people that possibly could be true that is it is, is it's all true you, is it true is all true oh i've been getting ready to make that joke um no little kids will just in hushed tones like ask their parents like did judy dench really win a AARP movies for grown ups award for a movie called all is true and you'll say i i it's true i it it's- happened
1: A movie that has been a myth, a legend, perhaps a punchline for podcasts such as ourselves. Not us,
0: never. I can't imagine. I can't imagine we would ever do that. Um, yeah. So we've cruised well past the six timers mark for Judy Dench. And right now, all, it, all is gravy for Judy Dench. So we are, <laughs> uh, right now, we are now into the stretch where we will only do movies where Judy Dench plays characters named
1: after other Oscar winners. <laughs> so uh, okay I was gonna bring this up too because I remember like growing up in high school as Anne Hathaway was in the ranks and you like learn about Shakespeare in English class and it's like well not that Anne Hathaway hardy har har, hardy, har, har. first From of all the, you know,
0: very shameless of you to casually bring up how Anne Hathaway was famous while you were still in high school and I will get you for this listen I will, the uh, girls
1: loved Ella Enchanted okay I bet. I bet. Listen,
0: Anne Hathaway did I'm not get girl. famous till I was out of college. So, I don't know. Eat it. Um well, good on you for... I am the college. Judy Dench. I am the much older Judy Dench to your younger uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh playing Shakespeare. But I will see you into the
1: ground, is what I will say. So... <laughs> That's the moral of that story. So, okay, so okay. if Judy Dench was playing Anne Hathaway, what uh-huh. Anne Hathaway do we want to see Judy Dench play? Well, obviously, um... Oh, I was going to say something, but now I don't want to say mean, it. I mean, they've both done Tom Hooper musicals, so I think those should be ruled out. Yeah, we'll rule
0: those out. I would say, I mean, I would like to see Judy go toe-to-toe with Meryl in a Devil
1: Wears Prada situation. I would. Uh, I would be up for that. I feel like the. I mean, like really, I I want to see the whole. What is it? The Gucci boots scene with Judy Dench. I just want her to play that scene. Just play that right. scene. Just um, that scene. Yes. I don't. Know, I want though. her to really feel fuck like... up
0: Adrian Grenier in that movie. Just like really, <laughs> just like give him what for.
1: <laughs> what was the What was the Anne Hathaway like sex movie that she did? Havoc. Yes. Havoc, I, let Judy yeah. Dench do that.
0: Let her have some I, fun. I almost said Brokeback Mountain because there's a topple scene in it. So I'm glad you yeah, went there. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Honestly, she'd slay. I I mean, you know, who's going to slay? Okay, but this is what I was going to say. If, if your answer is the Devil Wears Prada, I mean, seriously, I think in a toe to toe Battle of the Wills situation between Meryl and Judy Dench, I think Judy Dench wins. It's tough to say she doesn't. I will say, that. I mean, we've all seen notes on a scandal, we know that Judy Dench could kill someone,
0: yes, not untrue. The other thing I wanted to mention, if we're talking about old, Ju- old Judy roles, is um, a, a, the best Judy is an old Judy, is what I will say. So, um, no, uh, Judy Dench and Ian McKellen in this movie, first of all, it was the first of two movies that they would make together in two years because they made cats together the very next year, but also. Um, there's a clip online that you can find of them doing Ham or not Hamlet, uh, Macbeth. The Macbeth, together. their Macbeth is like their Macbeth,
1: fucking amazing.
0: <laughs> I will just watch clips of that just to sort of like calm myself. Just like watching Judi Dench do like iconic Lady Macbeth line readings is is She's a be Lady Macbeth. She's really fantastic at it. So. Lovely to see them back together, even though they they don't share a scene in this movie. And uh, we at least get her sort of jealously sniping about him and the rumors that are going around England that uh, William Shakespeare and the Earl of... Southampton? Southampton. Thank you. I was like, Hampshire? No, that doesn't sound right. Um, had some sort of, you know... Romance or, or affair or something like that. This movie
1: should just be called Rumors. There is so much <laughs> rumors. Parentheses: the Lindsay Lohan one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not Fleetwood Mac. Um, I'm sick of rumors, rumors with an O R. Why won't they let Shakespeare yeah. live? Um, okay, so Ian McCullen <laughs> <laughs> Ian McCullen in this movie, on the poster in his hat. Yes, glorious locks that he has. Very much such so. a soothing presence. Yes, uh, really shameful that I fear we will not ever have Oscar winner Ian McCullen But he's yes. barely—he's—he's he in one just scene. more than a cameo. In this, he's—he's he's in
0: one scene. He's in—it's yeah. a, a very good scene, but it is just yet yeah, just the one scene. Uh, listen, enough for him to get an M for G's nomination. So and deserved. He's great
1: in this movie. He's great. He's but great. this was the movie that I was like, you know, it's probably never going to happen for him and that sucks.
0: Researching for this episode, I it's not like I didn't know that he's only been nominated twice and not since Fellowship of the Ring in 2001, but like it hit it hit hard when I saw that and I was just like, wow. Like they they're, they really the Oscars sometimes you have a window. We've talked about this on this podcast where like sometimes you have a window to win an Oscar and that window closes and There's no guarantee that you're ever going to get back to it. And there was that window, the Gods and Monsters to Fellowship of the Ring window, where like it could have easily happened for either one of those. He was in a really good position for either one of those to win, and he didn't. And I think there was a sense that just like, he'll win one eventually, because he's great, and the Academy now loves him, and he's on the radar, and it just didn't happen. It was, you know... A lot of Magneto performances, and that wasn't going to happen. And then even stuff like Mr. Holmes, where he gets some precursor attention, but like even if he had gotten nominated for that, that's not an Oscar winning movie. No. And uh, The Good Liar, which I had some hopes for because I was like, mm, you know, what a
1: trashy, a- fun movie.
0: Though. So trashy and so fun. And he is having. He and Mirren are both having a very good time in that movie. Highly recommended.
1: Um, I would also say he's having a good time in this movie. I think everybody but yeah. Branna is having a good time. I agree. I don't think
0: Branna's bad though, but he's not having a good time. That is not like this is not like a fun Brana yeah, performance. Not bad.
1: I mean, I think. I think what, if anybody's concept of what this movie is, which is why partly why I was surprised, and I'm like, wait, did I like this movie? Or was it just not at all what I was expecting? Is, I think, especially the presence of Branagh, and Mm -hmm. he, like, directed it as well, Mm -hmm. makes it the same, like, it's gonna be this super stuffy costume drama about Shakespeare. But in actuality, it's like, this movie's kind of also trashy, <laughs> like yeah, it's it's high melodrama. Like I was watching it, I was like, "This is like other desert cities that uh, John Robin Bates play, yeah. but yeah. about Shakespeare." It's like that's a who really knew interesting that uh, Shakespeare's life was so soap operatic. Uh,
0: there is a there is so, a road
1: sign on the on the highway
0: to out to palm springs in los angeles that actually does say you know x amount of mileage to this and you go this way for that and one is just like this exit to other desert cities and i was like oh that's (laughs) wonderful that's really fantastic
1: um okay so I. it's funny that you think
0: that though about kenneth branagh because i tend to think of him not quite like Stuffy British movies, but I just think of him as such a hammy performer, and often that hamminess comes through in his directing as well. And I was somewhat curious to see what this movie would turn out to be because the concept of it definitely seemed snoozy. Like the concept right. of it seemed like Shakespeare in his dotage, you know, this kind of a thing, and like. You know, his final years down on the farm and whatever. And there's a little bit of sprightliness to it. I like the little touches. I like the fact that like Shakespeare was a terrible gardener. That um the one guy in town just wouldn't get off of his case. Uh there's just like there's little things about this that feel they make the movie feel a little bit more alive than yeah it didn't you know and that you didn't you didn't need those little touches but i appreciated them
1: it is surprising though that it's not adapted from some type of play i feel like we're right. just constantly doing movies where we're like you know it's weird that this isn't a, yeah. an adaptation but like there's these long dialogue scenes that seem like the type of thing that like yes. was revered yes. on the stage but no it's an original screenplay i'm sure that it is all essentially historical fiction i would really question i don't know much about shakespeare's life especially you know post his career Mm -hmm. uh, of what is (laughs) every time we just say true in this episode is going to i know Um, i know sam uh, what is true in this movie and what is not maybe all of it is i will
0: say say? the screenwriter uh, uh ben elton Has done a lot of, like, writing for a lot of different types of mediums, but has definitely done plays and has collaborated with Andrew Lloyd Webber on several things, including uh, Love Never Dies, which is the the sequel to the (laughs) Phantom of the Opera. Um,
1: Let's get Tom Heber's Love Never Dies. I mean, honestly,
0: why not? Um, So there is definitely... Some theatricality
1: to Ben Elton's writing, so that could right and ha- that because sort of even if explaining some of it, all is true, and like all of the actual historical details in this movie are right, it still is incredibly anachronistic in the way that like these people argue and yell at each other. Like it does truly feel like an early two thousands Broadway play that is now done by every regional and community theater in America. Like, yeah. I should also mention
0: before I get like like yet like I know that like Ben Elton was also like like he's a comedy guy like that's his main thing but I'm just saying there is other like stage stuff that he's done anyway um, but yeah you're not wrong it's it's not a bad movie it's not a movie I would ever recommend to anybody and just be like you know what's a good time is all is true it's it's better
1: than I expected and sometimes that's enough. Yes, definitely better than I expected. And like, uh, maybe we could get into the plot description before we really get into Branna. But like, I guess what yeah. I was saying, what I was getting at with like, he doesn't seem like he's having fun. I mostly think that he doesn't rarely ever seem like he's having that much fun because he's, he comes off very, uh, uh, Straight laced, super serious minded, especially when talking about like his Shakespeare stuff. Though we've done an episode yeah. on Much Ado About Nothing, and that's a really fun movie. Um, I don't know, there's just a stuffiness around him in this type of movie to the point where I'm like, well, Belfast is him having the most fun, and he's talking about like traumatic life events, the troubles, right? Yeah, right. exactly.
0: I think of stuff like, I do think he, as an actor in Much Ado, like is sort of, if not hamming it up, like, just, you know, I think he's having fun with a part like that. I think something like Dead Again is is, you know, there's a... There's a That's such a goofy movie. ...a creativity and a sort of goofiness to that. His Harry Potter, the Harry Potter movie that he's in, he's playing a very sort of like hammy and bombastic character.
1: Almost so, like making fun of himself playing that role.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So this, I think his his character in this is a very sort of serious center to the movie, which would have been nice if maybe Dench didn't have to be quite so serious. Because, like, Judy Dench's Anne Hathaway in this is just sort of perpetually, and not unjustifiably, but sort of, like, perpetually aggrieved and perpetually just sort of, like here's another thing that you've never done in your life, is, like, pay attention to your children. And here is another thing that you weren't around for, which was learning how to garden. And here's one more thing, is that I hate the furniture in this place. And it's just like, okay. Um, She's still incredibly, you know, entertaining
1: and whatnot. I mean, like, that was my thing about her performance, is, like, we've made jokes about this, movies for grown-up win, but, like, I think she's good in this movie. Like, not just like oh well she's pretty good but like i think it's a solid performance i'll say this we've mentioned the movies for grown-ups awards a couple times uh we're gonna get into it
0: strap in this is this is officially our all is true episode unofficially this is our aarp movies for grown-ups awards uh extravaganza we are really going to we're gonna compensate for the fact that we're talking about kind of a non-existent movie by we're really going to feed the children when it comes to the AARP
1: Movies for Grown-ups Awards the ms listen, for G's, all is true you know what all oh, is that the AARP Movies for grown up Awards should be considered a major precursor i mean yes we're not there yet but i believe that we can get there i believe right now i believe listen, that we are in a race on pbs put them on abc instead of the globes
0: for NBC. we are currently in a race against the critics choice awards i don't want the critics choice awards to become this secondary uh precursor to the oscars i know you don't and if we try if we really try to make this happen we could make the m4g's the the new golden globes and i deeply want that to happen
1: and i think we can what is the award show you want the the thing I, uh, uh, uh the globes is like it's fun Because everyone there is drunk. What award show do you want everyone to be drunk at if it's not the movies for grown-up? 100%. 100%. You want Emma Thompson
0: there. You want Susan Sarandon. You want Tom Wilkinson. These are the people you want there and boozy and... And having a good time, you, you know, this will get your streeps there. I'll, I'll honestly, the most fun people, get your Violet Davis. The most fun people at the Golden Globes are never the young people. Like, come on, when was the last time a young person at the Golden Globe did anything halfway interesting? Like, no. I mean, maybe Jennifer Lawrence. Sure, but Jennifer Lawrence, as with many things, is the exception, and also is, um, you know, aged beyond her years in Hollywood terms. Like, right? Like Jennifer Lawrence is, right. Is a, is an age traitor? Most, mostly so um i don't know we'll grandfather her in no pun intended so but let's right now stick to all is true we'll you know not to say we'll get through it but we'll get through it we'll get through all is true we'll talk a little about brana about belfast about the 2021 oscar race and then we'll move into the m4g's it'll be a good time all right but before we do all that chris hi have you prepared a 60 second plot description Sure, yeah. Alright. Um. Then I'm going to pull out my phone.
1: We're going to do... I'm going to set the stopwatch. A timer. This is my relaxing Delilah voice. We're going to do a 60 Cent plot description. Coming up, right. a long distance vacation right. From Anne Hathaway to William Shakespeare. <laughs> I don't know, what's a diss track that delilah would say
0: uh linda ronstadt's you're no good Ah, It's a diss track yeah okay uh we're gonna be talking about all is true on this episode it is the 2018 film directed by kenneth branagh written by ben elton starring kenneth branagh judy dench ian mckellen lydia wilson and katherine wilder it opened small on december 21st 2018 and pretty much stayed that way um and that's kind of it. Chris, are you ready with your 60 second plot description? Uh, yeah. All right. You're going to start
1: now okay so shakespeare's uh globe theater burns to the ground during a production of all is true which is a production about uh henry VIII. anyway he then moves back to stratford on avon never writes again but like is going to immediately start reconciling with like never being there and all of the shit that's gone down with his family his oldest daughter susanna is like maybe gonna have an affair it's a whole thing that's not really important to the rest of the movie the big thing is he is still grieving the death of his son hamnet his uh twin sister Judith, uh, who is like the most overlooked uh, of his children. Uh, Shakespeare believes Hamnet to have written these poems as a child, and it's just like, they're just child poems, but like he attaches them so much and like makes him like Hamnet be the uh, most important one. Anyway, turns out the big family secret is that Hamnet might have killed himself instead of dying from the plague. Meanwhile, he was transcribing those poems from, uh, from Judith and uh, that's the big reveal, and they fight about it. We have three more seconds. Oh, three more no seconds! Time. Anyway, uh, Shakespeare eventually dies, nope, and time. then uh, everyone nope, learns nope. how to read. That's time. Is nope. that the implication uh, of the end of the movie? Is that all of the women finally learn how to read?
0: <laughs> yeah, yes. Because at his that funeral, they, they read, read one of his, his sonnets, funeral.
1: and like the big thread for all the female characters is that they can't yeah. read or write the whole time, and that's why Hamnet had transcribed Judith's poems. But, like, uh, you know, right. Shakespeare believed him not to have written it. Right. And this um, is where we get into the, like, okay, how historically accurate is this movie? Because it's all conceivable and it, like, gets entertaining melodrama out of this type of scenario. But, like, yes. the way that it delivers make... it at least makes it seem like, you know, this is not historically accurate. I want to make a couple observations about Hamnet, who is
0: the deceased son of Shakespeare. A lot of the film's sort of central emotional turmoil comes from Shakespeare's unresolved feelings about his son's death and him not being around for it. At one point, uh, Judy Dench is like, we all mourned and you wrote The Merry Wives of Windsor, which the library is open. Um, but my thing about, and I don't know the v- order of events, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but William Shakespeare having a son named Hamnet feels like if Charles Dickens had a son and named him Schmavit Shmopperfield. <laughs> and I
1: just feel like it's a weird thing to do. I just think in that time there was not a whole lot of options and it would be like small. <laughs> there things. was just not a lot of names. So
0: it's, you basically I think it's took your
1: more like he had a son named Darrell and wrote a play named Daryl. It's like that. Okay. Did the son come before the play or did the play come before the
0: sun? This is crucial. Did he name Hamlet after Hamnet or did he name
1: Hamnet after Hamlet? Shakespeare scholars, please don't add us. I want to know.
0: Um, yeah, also, if Hamlet was, like, a real person that he based it on, I don't want to know that either. Don't Isn't come there, like, on a me. legend?
1: Maybe. I don't care. It's all, in that it's fact, all back to prehistoric times about uh, the Prince Simba. Right. And then somehow it morphed but again, into Dutch Hamlet. Or but Danish I don't think
0: Hamlet. that makes that better. And Because, like, if there was a historical Hamlet, that that's why he wrote that play. Then again, it's like naming your kid... Schmael wolf, like not to like you know it's you know like it's just like it's whatever I don't column, think names
1: were that complicated then it's not column, like, okay, wrong. you know,
0: column, you know jethro, I don't care, the underlying um,
1: message message of this talking point here is we aren't smart people, yeah, they knew that,
0: they didn't need to know that, but they know that okay, um, okay, so all is true, here's the thing there's a lot of business with his daughters in this movie and sometimes i'm watching the movie and i'm thinking oh this is kind of an interesting little story about the younger daughter who was the twin of the guy who died and she's never forgiven herself and she's decided at age like 28 that she's going to be a spinster for the rest of her life and then her her sister is like unhappily married but she's you know having an affair and her reputation's at stake and her husband seems very religious and not very fun. And I'm like, oh, so this is sort of, like, has all of the makings of, like, some sort of masterpiece series, right? Some, you know, thing that PBS could air it. for three seasons. I was kind of into it sometimes. And then sometimes I'm like, but this is a movie about Shakespeare and his wife, and, like, maybe that's the movie I want to be
1: watching. And, like, Too much with Susanna's affair. Way too much of Susanna's affair,
0: especially because it comes to nothing. Like Judith is the interesting one. She's Mm -hmm. the one
1: with like all of the story.
0: And Catherine
1: Wilder, who if you told me that she was Andrea Riseborough's cousin, okay,
0: thank you again. We've talked about Andrea Riseborough face blindness before, and it is nothing against her as an actress. But this movie was fucking with me severely, because I'm like, I know this isn't Andrea Riseborough. I've looked at this cast list several times. And yet, it really was just like, are you sure? Like, it's very much Mona Lisa <laughs> Vito being like, how can you be so sure? And like... Truly. Okay, so looking... I literally just clicked on her Wikipedia page. She's barely been in anything. She was in a... She was Ophelia in a 2017 stage version of Hamlet that Branna had produced with Tom Hiddleston? I believe is what this is telling me. Which is kind of interesting. She was in like... According to Wikipedia, one episode of Call the
1: Midwife
0: and basically, like, no other movies. Maybe IMDb will be more forthcoming. Let's see.
1: But She could be more of a stage actress. I think she's good
0: in the movie. I think she's very good in the movie. Oh, she's in the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express, also with Kenneth Branagh, as prostitute. Oh, boy. So there was that just the one <laughs> what What do you mean just the one so, yes she was the only prostitute she was the only prostitute in all of oh, okay. europe at in that movie so
1: yes sex work has been really stigmatized on train <laughs> yes
0: okay so yeah she's very good i really liked her i thought she was excellent um but again part of me kept being like but i want to watch the movie that's judy dench and kenneth branagh you know what i mean Ultimately, mm-hmm. I think Judi Dench is very good, but I feel like more of the story could have been hers.
1: I mean, I think she has the best stuff in the movie. I don't think that Branagh's Shakespeare is all that interesting. I mean, like, he he like basically spends the movie grieving and trying to, uh, you know, garden. But... Everything around him is so much more interesting, which I suppose is part of the point, too, right? Like, he's off in London writing plays, being a huge success. Meanwhile, they're back at home living complicated lives, you know? Like, that is part of the point.
0: Well, and the whole movie, the whole movie is essentially while Shakespeare is still alive. There's, he's very much doubting and wondering sort of like what his legacy will be. And part of that is, you know, with his family. Did he, you know, do all of this stuff professionally and then neglect his family? What are the repercussions of that? He, there are several interactions that he has with different characters in this movie that are about how much he should be and thinks he is sort of respected as a, as an artist, as a, as a professional, as a human, you know, being. And you get the scene, that's where Ian McKellen comes in, where McKellen, as the Earl of Southampton, shows up and essentially gives the like Magneto, like you're a god among <laughs> in- insects kind of speech, where he's basically like, your work is without peer. Your problem is you've never had fun a day in your life. And all of these other people are dead now your peers but they at least like you know lived for half a second and then later on you get the other playwright who comes to visit him who's also his friend and he's like okay but all of those people died of like syphilis and murder and were poor and destitute and whatever and like you've managed to like hold it down pretty well and I think there's all of these sort of push-pull things where he's just, essentially, it's like his sense of self-worth is being like yanked in one direction or another. There's the one uh, guy, Sir Thomas Lucy, who is literally just like the bitchiest asshole in town. (laughs) And every single time William Shakespeare comes along, he's like, oh, son of a thief, eh? And, you know, daughters are scandals, huh? And, you know, basically just like, you ain't shit. And finally towards the end of the movie shakespeare almost like he's almost like a little boy in that scene where he's literally just like your insults don't matter to me anymore i'm gonna stand up for myself i ran the globe theater although you did burn it down to the ground that's the other thing is like (laughs) i didn't realize was the the preamble to this movie i'm like i feel like we should maybe talk more about how the only reason why we know about the Globe Theater is because Shakespeare made it famous, but yet he also burned it to the ground with a play. And just like
1: I mean, it's not his fault, but like
0: okay, but on his watch sure, that theater ain't no more. Sure. It's very buffy before the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> where she's coming into town cuz she burnt <laughs> she burned down the gym in her last high school. Like that's sort of what's happening here. So yeah. It's an interesting story. I don't know. I, again, don't know a whole ton about, like, the personal history of Shakespeare. I knew there were, like, you know, there is a whole reading of a lot of his work about, you know, homosexual inferences and stuff like that, and how much of that has been hushed up by, you know, the the literary, ca- the great literary canon of whatever. The wheels of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, that was interesting, I knew his
1: wife was I named Dan Hathaway. I do think there's an interesting, like, dynamic here. And, like, I do think the movie, like, feels like a product of its time. But it isn't, like, too girl bossy. And that, like, it ultimately is about, like, reflecting on history. These great men of history. Right. And, like, the personal sacrifices of, like, the women around them. Like, right. Right. None of the women in this movie are able to read or write, including one who, like, has a talent that he believes in, even if he believes it to be of his son and not, you know, his daughter, never even conceives that it could possibly be his daughter because, you know, the male progeny of it all, you know, the father wanting to favor the son, etc., etc. I do think that there is kind of an interesting thread to that, like, theme. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in a way that I was like, this could tip over any minute and be, like, hashtaggy, but it's not.
0: No, it actually stays on the level pretty well, and it makes for a more interesting film than I was, you know, prepared for. So, mm-hmm. in terms of the, like, the Kenneth Branagh directorial sort of uh, canon right so this movie comes mm-hmm. it is there is believe it or not a film in between this one and Belfast people forget that he directed <laughs> Artemis Fowl another Judy There's Dench two starring movie between
1: this and Belfast wait what else Death on the Nile. Death on the that Nile hasn't come out real, yet, though. It is never opening. It
0: hasn't come out yet, though. So I'm officially p- placing that one in 2022. In but terms of filmed it. In terms of them. releases, though. In terms of releases, I'm just putting Artem's Fall. But you are right. The Death on the Nile was completed. It just... It's going to be burned in a ceremony at some point, and nobody will ever see it. And that's <laughs> fine. Um, justice for Don French and Jennifer Saunders. But, like, otherwise, I'm fine. Um, no, so, like... All is true comes at the end of a really interesting string of movies. I would say he did his last Shakespeare adaptation in two thousand and six, which was, as you
1: like it, that maybe was an HBO. It was movie. originally supposed to be theatrical. I think it went to either tiff or Can without distribution, and HBO picked it up interesting,
0: um, so, We talked in our last podcast very briefly uh, about the movie Sleuth that uh, he made with Jude Law and Michael Caine that I've never seen, but it is an adaptation of a Harold Pinter play. And I remember for whatever reason, I have no idea what made me watch the trailer for it a few months ago, maybe a year or two ago. Um, And I watched it and I was like, that's what Sleuth is? Because first of all, I had no idea. And it's like the original is olivier right yes kane and olivier kane played the younger man and olivier played the older man but it's like it's an infidelity chamber drama essentially that's like fully like sinister Sinister twists in it yeah had no idea
1: had no idea at all i thought it was about a fucking detective um i thought we were going to get like actual discussions around this but people are just like blissfully happy to ignore that Kenneth Branagh has maybe the weirdest directorial resume in the business.
0: <laughs> in a way that I kind of love because like there's big highs and big lows and in the middle it's just like a lot of weird shit. Um after sleuth like famously the thing everybody remembers that he directed Thor because it's such an odd pairing. Um and the first Thor is actually really interesting. It's especially interesting to talk about it now in retrospect because when it first came out, like people forget that like people were trying to do the like, well, this is the bad Marvel movie, like from the break. Like Thor was maybe the third Marvel movie and already it was just like, well, the wheels are off the wagon on this one. And it's just like, okay, um, the, the wagon did keep on going, but, uh, the first Thor is still like, working out the Thor character. So, like, that's a weird thing about it. But, like, it also has a really definite, like, visual... Like, all the stuff about Asgard is, like, really different than everything else that's in the MCU. And the fact that, like, Tom Hiddleston's Loki, like, really just jumped off the screen there is, like, it's no accident. So, like, we'll give we'll give Bran a credit for that. Um,
1: Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit is his next movie, which... A movie I have somehow seen and have truly no memory. Of. I have not seen it. at all. I have it logged from whenever I saw it, and I'm like, I, I, I don't. I mean, like, I definitely remember Kira Knightley in that movie because I remember basically my main takeaway being furious that Kira Knightley was in a, stuck in a movie like that.
0: Is that the one where Werner Herzog is the bad guy, or is that a Jack Reacher that I'm thinking of?
1: That sounds like a Jack Reacher. It might be a Jack because, Reacher. Hold on. I'm pulling this up because why do I. Wait, Kevin Costner is in Jack Ryan Shadow I'm Recruit? telling you, this Jack Ryan movie that is not real is crazy. Okay. That's wild.
0: Um, All right. After Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, he does the live action Disney remake of Cinderella, which of the live action Disney remakes, I think is one of the better ones for whatever that's worth. Whatever it's worth to say, this is better than the beauty and the beast
1: and Lion King. It has a really good Kate Blanchett performance.
0: It's a really good Kate Blanchett performance. That really
1: elevates the movie. Otherwise it's fine.
0: I think it's fine. I think it's perfectly, I think the costumes are really nice. It was nominated for uh, the Oscar for costumes. Um, It's fine. It's good. Uh, The 2017 murder on the Orient Express I had very high expectations for because the cast was so good and the concept seemed so fun and it just missed the mark for me and I still can't quite put my finger on why but it didn't quite do it for me. How did you feel about that murder on the Orient
1: Express? It's it should be more fun than it is, I think yeah. is the big problem. Yeah. That's but my thing. it's kind of boring. Um yes. Why? I don't know, and that's kind of one of the bummers about Death on the Nile. is like, well, Death on the Nile seemed like it would have at least, you know, leaned into the fun side. You mentioned, you know, yeah, but part, are in
0: it. But like, right, but part of me felt like, mm, you're not going to fool me again, too. Where I was just like, I'll be right. optimistic, but like, guardedly so. Um, I did think Pfeiffer was very good in Murder on the Orient Express, but in a dramatic way. It's not like she was like cutting it up she was like her best scene in it is this very dramatic moment i just think it's a very she does very good work the thing that everybody remembers that is kind of the fun campy thing is the fucking mustache (laughs) like the true. like oh i thought you were gonna say her wig reveal oh (laughs) no i just i like i feel like the thing that everybody wanted to talk about was and Bran is really hamming it up as Poirot. Like, that's the that's the fun part. It's just not everybody else gets to have fun. Like, he's having all of the fun. And as the, like, lead actor and director, sometimes it's just like, maybe, like, spread them some fun around. And he, he didn't quite. So that was in 2017. And then 2018, all is true happens. And he's sort of, like, revisiting the Shakespeare thing. But it had been a good dozen years. For him in between Shakespeare projects with just a really eclectic filmography where there are precious few real victories there. And yet, they're all kind of fascinating in one way or another. So, I don't know. And then Artemis Fowl, it feels like... It's especially
1: fascinating when you put them all together.
0: Right. Right, and that's why I would like I'd like to throw Artemis Fowl in there. And honestly, all is true, it's just as weird as the rest of them in terms of like the concept and also the fact that it like it was so anonymous and it was so sort of hidden from view and yet it had this mm-hmm. weird little aggressive awards campaign for a minute that worked but only in a very specific
1: context which is the M for Gs. So It's weird, Artemis Fowl. Well, it's the thing about all is true is that it is a qualifying release because it wasn't released in its like full release until the following May, well after (laughs) you know the award season. And I tried to look it up, but this I I believe it was one of the last movies to play the Paris when it was open um, before Netflix bought it. Right. Um, Oh wow! So it's like it had a very very strange theatrical life that i think people are probably more inclined to understand literally within the past two years after the pandemic people understand what qualifying releases are for the first time we had to have this argument and explain what qualifying releases were at the beginning of our podcast now everybody's complaining about them yeah i mean whatever people
0: people's conceptions of how the movie business sort of worked during pandemic got a lot more attention and all of a sudden there were a lot of like really strong opinions about things like release windows and when something should be able to qualify for the Oscars. And all of a sudden, remember that whole weird stretch where people were like, you can't see any of the Oscar nominees. And it's just like, but you can see all of the Oscar nominees, just not in theaters because there's a pandemic and like, I don't know, it was just like, there was just this whole thing that like really stuck in my craw about that whole.
1: The thing moment. that was weird to me about that, I was like, yeah, you can for double the price it would have cost you to see it in theaters because everything costs 20 fucking dollars to rent at home yeah, versus yes. paying $10 in a theater. Right. For a lot of people. I mean, I, I realize yeah. in, like, New York, it's $20 a ticket, but... Yes, it is.
0: Uh, the thing I was going to say about Artemis Fowl is, that is a movie that got released during the pandemic. Viewing option... Like, I needed things to watch. It, well, home. it got punted to D+. plus To D+. plus. Right. Um, I can't imagine it would have done much business in theaters. I stopped watching it halfway through. It was one of the things where I was watching it late at night, and I'm like, I'm gonna go to sleep, and I'm gonna, like, finish this in the morning. And I did the first part, and then
1: I didn't do the second part. Uh, I never finished The only finished thing I movie. know about that movie is the production stills of Judy Dench in costume, where I assume she's playing some type of bug lady.
0: Yeah, you're not entirely wrong. She's sort of... She has a weird, like, scratchy voiced accent that, like, there is a mystery character who you're supposed to not know who it is, except they mm-hmm. sound exactly like Judy Dench sounds. So I'm just like, are like, I, and I never finished the movie, so I could be wrong, but like, I'd be very surprised if that mystery person did not turn out to be Judy Dench because, like, it seemed very obvious to me. Anyway. Uh, it's her twin, 2D <laughs> All right, let's talk about Belfast really quick. Um, not it, Now it is out in theaters, right? It's just out in theaters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked it better than you. We both, I don't think either one of us would put it at the top of our list, and it does seem to be right now, as of this moment, the kind of Everybody is sort of resigned to the fact that it's an Oscar frontrunner. And that's a thing that happened while I was not paying attention. All of a sudden, it was like, well, Belfast is the frontrunner. And I'm like, it is?
1: Like, that's weird. And not to say, again, I I ultimately don't think it's the frontrunner. I think it's, I honestly think it's the power of the dog. But I felt. I felt like the thing of like, oh, it is definitely going to be a player because like the first reactions I saw out of Telluride for it were things that were like, I didn't like it, but the people I know in the room that were Academy voters loved it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's going to be the thing. It's going to maybe be a movie that is not very popular, but for this, you know, small group of 10,000 people, they're going to be the audience for it. Yeah. This was how a lot of people
0: that I uh saw being the Ricardos with felt about being the Ricardos. I was the exception that I also loved it. So I was one of those people in the room. Um but like that was a, I saw that at a guild screening and it went over so well and I'm just like, "Oh, all right, this is going to be like a major major Oscar player." And
1: yeah, I think it's a best picture
0: nominee. I saw Belfast at a smaller screening, so it was harder to get that sense of it, but like it is it's comparing it to power of the dog power of the dog i obviously liked a lot better i think power of the dogs maybe my favorite movie that i've seen all this year and Same. so far at least and it's a very good and accessible and compelling movie but it's going to be very much easier to try and sell belfast on things like emotion and you know and so and oscar campaigns tend to be the stuff of playing on the emotions of voters and It will be a lot easier to do that with a film like Belfast. Whether, which isn't to say that the most sort of sentimental movie always wins. We've had best picture winners that are The Departed and No Country for Old Men and, um, even Spotlight, which like there is, I guess, a sentimental aspect to it, but like it's, I wouldn't call it like a sentimental movie. And so like there are, there are exceptions to all the rules, and I think with with Belfast, there seems to be a little bit of a resignation that people kind of have this Oscar amnesia, where every year they default to whatever their stereotype of Oscar voters is, and every year it's just sort of like, well, they're gonna obviously go for Belfast because I don't like this movie, but other people like this movie, and they are, you know, and it's...
1: I mean, I I basically just, like, said the same thing. However, like, I don't know. I, I think financially Belfast is gonna come off better than something like than some other movies that are considered frontrunners I mean but that's part of the reason why I think Power of the Dog is the frontrunner is because like it's going to be devoid it's gonna of those be Netflix. of conversations yeah. completely um whereas like we're recording this the weekend that you know King Richard is doing less than expected while it's on HBO Max and people are wringing their hands over that
0: whatever smooth move um, Warner Brothers you Dicks.
1: I'm really curious to see how Belfast holds up in terms of com- conversations around, like, craft, because that was my big issue with the movie. I kind of thought it was a mess, um, aside from you were right, but. I was willing to give it a shot uh the 9,000 Van Morrison needle drops that are in it.
0: I knew what was waiting for you. I knew it was going to be an aggression
1: against you and I felt aggressed. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, but um I don't know. I mean, I to not be like the ty- the type of conversation that's like, well, this audience is going to be the one to like it. So that's what it is. But actually, I think what it has going for it is that actors are going to love it, and the acting branch is huge. I mean, I think there's a really good chance that Katrina Balf is going to have an Oscar in a few months. She's really wonderful Um, in that. Um, She's the best thing about the movie, period. It's it's, it's Um, a very
0: easy uh, SAG ensemble nominee because everybody in that ensemble is really playing these very sort of warm and likable characters. Plus you have like... a young kid in the lead role who isn't going to be able to get a individual nomination. So like, you're going to want to, you know, sweep
1: him up in the cast. And I I think that sag ensemble thing is one of the reasons why it has a best picture leg up because like I would put money right now on winning sag ensemble. I Uh, tend to get a little defensive
0: of movies that get sort of brushed aside as sentimental because A, because I tend to enjoy movies like that, and (laughs) I feel like a distinction is often necessary to be made between something that is sentimental and something that is cynical. And I think a lot of the times, things that are sentimental are brushed off as cynical, even though they're not. And I think Belfast is going to really ride that line for a lot of people, and I definitely feel like this is a movie that comes across comes by its sentimentality honestly and it does feel like it is a it's an honest artistic statement by somebody who has you know the wherewithal to make a movie about his childhood and his home and whatever that he wants to say something and it does not ever to me tip the scales into cynicism
1: and i'm worried yeah i don't think it's a cynical movie um by any means i think the stuff that i liked where i thought it was what made it the like the best version of the movie that i was watching was when it's really a movie about a marriage that Mm -hmm. you know almost ends but like saves itself yeah like that's the story that i really liked um but yeah i think there's just some Directorial stuff and some like craftsmanship that it's like, it's a lot of the same issues I have with a movie like Sleuth in Kenneth Branagh's, you know, filmography that I'm like, this is just not, it's, you know. One of the interesting
0: things that I've heard in criticism about Belfast is that it doesn't confront enough the sort of hard and harsh realities of the, political violence that was happening at the time and that it's it doesn't very
1: broad with those things.
0: Yes, and it like and again it is a movie told from the perspective of its young protagonist so it doesn't ever linger too much in ideas of politics and I think people yeah. who don't like the movie wanted it to be more political but I will say there are at least two really intense and kind of harrowing scenes of like chaos and uh i mean violence i say violence and people expect that there are like dismemberments in the streets or whatever but like it's like you know chaos and and violent action or whatever and because again it's from the perspective of a kid it's really overwhelming and i think Brana does a good job of Making those scenes feel impactful without needing to, in my opinion, go into the politics of it. That for whatever was going on, it was chaos and, you know, this sort of unmooring, uh, you know...
1: It's Violence not just that it's from happening. the perspective of a child, but I think it's also that what the movie is really about is just this one family at this period of time yeah. where there's this tumult going on. Um, so like, I think it's, it, it's also the matter of like what the movie is trying to be about. And I don't think it's actually trying to be about the unrest of the time. It's trying to be about this family, yeah. which like, might sound like an excuse, but like I do actually think that's the intention of the movie.
0: Yeah, I do too. So we'll see how the season sort of unfolds. I would not be surprised if this movie ends up getting usurped by something else. I'm not totally sure if I think it's going to be Power of the Dog that does it, but right now it are, we're sort of at a moment where like the possibilities of what could move ahead of it
1: are kind of dwindling like there's you know it's a there's... really fun season though because yes. there is so much possibility and so many races i feel like the only thing that's tied up please for the love of god let it be tied up is best director for jane campion um but we will see yeah it should be interesting so all right
0: pivoting off of belfast which all right let's pivot this way I think Belfast is going to clean the fuck up at the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. It is
1: going to win. Well, They're going to invent about... categories to, to let it win. Right. Like the m for gs do spread the love, which makes me, me feel like it's probably the best movies for grown up winner. Like it's going to win their best picture. Yes. But like I could see them doing Brana for best director. I mean, like, Maybe Judy Dench will win, but like the Oscar, the big Oscar plays in performance are probably not going to be eligible because they are not over 50. Though, like, Kieran Hines could be their supporting actor. What? But like, you can right now. Here's my I thing w- about the M4Gs. Yes.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. If I were to place any kind of bet right now and like a sure bet that would win me money it would be, you can, like, write in Judy Dench and Karen Hines on that ballot for m Like it is, Oh, absolutely. They will, there is no surer thing that, that both of them will be nominated for M4Gs. And I think you're right. Karen
1: Hines, I could absolutely see him winning. Because they've given it to, uh, like, briefer performances before in their supporting, or, like, at least nominate. Um I, my thing about M4Gs this year, if yes. we're going to talk about what's going to play with the AARP, our favorite precursor award, because it is a major precursor. Yes. What in this year isn't that is like a Oscar player would like not be eligible for the M4Gs? So it's like well, all movies about people in their 50s. Sort or made of. So by like, people in their 50s like power jane campion is eligible if like her cast is not that's the thing it's like the the cast of
0: power of the dog is a little bit young although not as young as again you don't freak me out by telling me how old Kirsten Dunst is, because then I'll know how old I am, and I don't want to face up to that right now. <laughs> um, but no, you're not wrong. There are uh, I'm trying. To, yeah, what would be like the major movies? But again, that's sort of like the Oscars. The Oscars are closer I guess to Spencer the energy. Is not probably
1: going to be eligible for any movies for grown ups. How old is Pablo Lorraine?
0: I don't know, but certainly uh, Kristen Stewart is you know is young. You've you know licorice pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson may be, you know, older, but obviously the stars of that movie are young. West Side Story is about young characters. Um, I mean, like, you know, Dune is a young person's game. I wouldn't expect Dune to be a major player at the M4Gs. But, like, Will Smith for King Richard, yes. Uh, Nicole Kidman Kidman. for being the Ricardos, yes. Um, uh, Then it gets into... like. Francis and Denzel for Tragedy of Macbeth. I could see it. Joaquin for Come On, Come On. Sure. Um,
1: All of the Stars of Mass. Yes. Um, If they nominate Leonardo DiCaprio, is he 50? He's not 50 yet. But even if he was, he would have the entire AARP membership killed for acknowledging his age. So I've got some interesting sort
0: of for your considerations maybe or at the very least like uh, be on the lookout first of all i don't think we've heard the last of dear evan hansen i could see julianne moore getting an m gs <laughs> for dear evan hansen or amy adams honestly like one of the two of them maybe just don't rule it out um i think richard jenkins and jane Howdeshell, this is the one place one of them could show up is a supporting category for their performances in the humans um yeah Cherry Jones for Eyes of Tammy Faye? I don't know. Maybe. Like.
1: I they like to pull uh they like to pull some uh choices that are uh quintessentially their own. It won't happen, but I would love it if Udo Kier
0: got a nomination at the M4Gs for that movie Swan Song that he's doing. <laughs> um, Meryl in Don't Look Up, I think is a distinct possibility for M 4 Gs. And my real wild card. And we'll just throw it, put it out there on the table and see what happens. Rita Moreno for West Side Story. Oh, I don't think that's so much of a wild card, to be frank. I'm saying M4Gs, let's see it. They happen. love a legend. They love a legend, as do we. Like Right. What are your what are your uh M4G's wild cards for this year?
1: Uh, I think it's a perfect year to bring back the category Best Movie for Grownups who refuse to grow up. There's lots of options there. I that wrote could that be down something that they could nominate Coda for yeah. Lickers Pizza for sure.
0: Yep, that's a good one. Um, what an odd category! That category lasted way longer than I thought. Uh, best movies, movie for grownups that uh,
1: don't want to grow up. Um, because they had to have a category for uh, movies about people under 50 Um, the last winner of that category by the way was
0: um the last time they did it it was essentially a animated category it really became like a default animated category and so the last winners of that one were the last three winners of that category were kubo and the two strings inside out and the lego movie With, like, precious few live-action movies. And even the live-action movies... So the category became movies we saw with the whole family. Right. But, like, before that, movies like Moonrise Kingdom would win. Or um, Enchanted. Or... There was a Lassie in 2006? All right. If you say so. Uh, Yeah. Sure. Sure. Lassie. Um, School of Rock. A perfect winner
1: in that category for 2003. So... Um, yeah. I'm most excited for whatever their unhinged shit is gonna be this year, because they've done things like awarded to Five Bloods with Best Buddy Picture. Yeah! like, that's a movie about friends, but uh, Buddy Picture implies comedy. They're gonna do some shit like Best Time Capsule, The Last Duel, this year. <laughs> their Best Time Capsule category is consistently
0: the most cursed on their on their ballot it is usually because again
1: like what do you mean by what that what do like, you mean by time capsule?
0: sway here do you mean that we're nostalgic for things like again what are the things that the m gs are going to tell us we are nostalgic for we're nostalgic for duels and the troubles and um <laughs> what else we could be nostalgic for uh Nightmare Alley it's going to be Nightmare like Alley <laughs> right organized crime right organized crime among carnival people yes um we are nostalgic for uh Diana being alive i don't know like we are I don't know.
1: Intergenerational is always a, f- a interesting option. That's like, you know, there'll be movies for families. So like King Richard, I'm guessing, will be there. Come on, come on. will probably right. be there. But right. Like,
0: so I wanted to kind of get into the a little bit of the history of the M4Gs, which have only been around since the 2001 movie season the first few years they were only they only existed as part of like an article in aarp magazine and they would you know publish their favorite movies of the year the very first best movie for grown-ups uh, for 2001 was the australian movie lantana starring <laughs> anthony lapaglia and Jeffrey rush and I love that for them. That was not a movie that I have seen. I remember hearing about it, but uh, have never seen that one. I've seen it. Cinematography by Mandy Walker. That's cool because again, it's in Australia, so nice. you know dollars to donuts, you're going to get Mandy Walker to do your cinematography. Um, so it existed as kind of a, of a, you know, as a print thing for a while, and then their very first televised or sorry, their very first live ceremony, I don't think it was televised for a while, was for the 2005 season. The very first M4G's ceremony was hosted by Angela Lansbury and... Hell, fuck yeah. And Shelly Berman, who, uh, among other things, played Larry David's father on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Just to give you a sense of, like, <laughs> the vibe that they were going for. Uh, in 2006 was... Uh, Angela Lansbury and Larry David's dad on, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So
1: where the, uh, best movies for grown up winner was Capote.
0: Yes. And so that was the case for about like nine years. And then the 2015 ceremony for the 2014 movies was the first to be telecast just locally in LA on KTLA. And then it was (laughs) only like this podcast is as old as the concept of the M4Gs on PBS. Like, we are, again, this is why we are kindred spirits. Like, the first, very first M4Gs on PBS was in 2018, and that was hosted by Alan Cumming, which they should all be, I would say. Um. And so here we are now, in 2021, still ideally to be airing on PBS, and destined to be the new Golden Globes, if I have anything to say about it. Do you want to dip into those very first, that very first year of the M4Gs and just like get a sense of what was nominated? Absolutely.
1: Let's, let's talk about this. There was only a Lantana few. Lantana wins best movie for grownups.
0: Yes. There's only a few categories. They only had four nominees a piece. Well, best actor only had three. Um, but other than Montana, it was a lot of the Oscar nominees, A Beautiful Mind, In the Bedroom and Iris were the three nominated movies that didn't win Best Movie for Grown Ups. Um, But even then, they had some wild ones. Tony Scott got a Best Director nomination for Spy Game, which like the Robert Redford spy movie? Of course AARP is going to go for that. <laughs> like, absolutely they are. Um, Gene, or, er, uh, well, Gene Hackman got nominated for Royal Bombs, which A++, but also Morgan Freeman for Along Came a Spider. Like, again, what's the movie that you're going to, like, that you're going to come home for the holidays and your parents are like, did you
1: see Along Came a Spider? That is fantastic filmmaking. So... Um, I think we're also looking at different research too, so we can puzzle piece all of it together. Oh, why? What are you looking at? Because I also see Ben Kingsley and Jim Broadbent nominated in lead or in best actor. They didn't have supporting categories, so those would be your supporting. Oh, are you looking on IMDb? We are getting incomplete information. Oh, that's fascinating.
0: Um, so are you seeing five nominees in all categories?
1: Uh, it's all the same categories. All right, I'm going to dip into. But that But if second. you look at the uh, the acting and the directing nominees, those are it all like adds up. All right, so actress that year is won by. Well,
0: first of all, the nominees are both of the Gosford Park uh, supporting actress nominees were Helen Mirren and Maggie Smith. They were both nominated for Best Actress along with Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom and Judy Dench for Iris, also Oscar nominees. But the winner was not an Oscar nominee at all. It was um, Reverend Mother Scary Lady from Dune herself, Charlotte Rampling,
1: for Under the Sand. <laughs> the Bene Gesserit are behind this. Exactly. The Bene Gesserit used the voice, and they got Well, I mean, the... if you if you are a Bene, G- Bene Gesserit, that comes with an AARP membership. <laughs> It's true. It's baked in. That's part of the welcome package.
0: There. Yes.
1: Yeah, totally. Yes. Um, yeah. What else is in the welcome package if you become a Bene Gesserit? You get one of those little box things to put you know people's hands in. Yes. You get an AARP membership. Right. You get the veil and you get um, I don't know, Bjork's Greatest Hits. <laughs> right. Yes. Icelandic, uh,
0: the the best of Icelandic music. Um, The funniest thing about this first M4Gs year is because it only existed as a print column, it had a lot of – it's essentially like the kind of shit that I would do when I'm like summing up the year in movies, right, is I make up these fake little categories. And so they have things like best treatment of a delicate subject went to iris. And worst treatment of a delicate subject went to Freddie Got Fingered. So they're doing their little, you know, Armand <laughs> White thing. Here's a thing that I think is a little unfair: uh, best old age makeup, Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Worst old age makeup, Jennifer Connolly in A Beautiful Mind. Now come on, now come on, AARP. I mean. Why be mean? And also, though, don't gas up Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Like it, it was all bad old age makeup. Like let's let's be let's be serious here. Um, other interesting ones let's see julie andrews wins for best grandparent in the princess diaries <laughs> morgan freeman in addition to his best actor nomination for *Along came a spider gets the most athletic performance <laughs> award which i think is hysterical because i guarantee you it's at most like running and maybe like jumping a barricade of some sort but like I yeah. do not think that Morgan Freeman was, like, doing the heptathlon or Closing
1: whatever. a car door real fast. Um, <laughs> right. However, th- th- some of the... Okay, this it's always fun to make up your own categories. Yes. That's a fun thing to do. We love it. But these are so mean and bitchy. Like, their least athletic performance is Marlon Brando in the score. That old man was dying. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> you don't have to be like that. Oh, it's... Again... This was this was
0: presented by uh, the old bitch wing of uh, AARP. It was the the. You mean the gay wing? The ki- the hissing queens. I do mean the gay wing. That's exactly who I mean. Um, so who was all right? So who was this gay was, gay RP? Who was still alive in two thousand two to be like old and gay and bitchy? Like Derek Jacoby was just like was handing out all of these. This was <laughs> I mean McCollin.
1: Yeah. That's it was just Derek Jacobi and Ian McKellen like in a back room. Ian like, McKellen was like, "Do not nominate me. I am not going, but I will shit on Marlon Brando." <laughs> oh man, they give Best
0: Over 60 Romance to a movie called Innocence that was an Australian movie. Again, they're loving these Australian movies. Um about two separated lovers who meet again accidentally after decades and decades and fall in love again. And now I'm kind of curious as to like what this movie's whole deal is because it wins best over 60 romance movie, but then it also wins with quotation marks worst over 60 romance movie because the, uh the, for the best they said for having the guts to try it. And then for worst, they say, er now let's try it in a good movie again. Just, Bitch, is this just, like a movie that has like, you know, old people fucking? It might be. That might be what the what, what it's notorious for. Good for them.
1: If it is good for them, and stop being mean! <laughs> we don't like these first AARP movies for Grown-Up Awards. They're really mean.
0: Let's see if they get better as they go along. Alright, second year, do they still have the made-up categories? Not as many. Now it's more just like actual um, things, <laughs> although they give breakaway performance to richard gear and the write-up there was who'd have thought that behind those american gigolo eyes and that officer and a gentleman chin all right uh hid the soul of a song and dance man he'll never make us forget a stare but we'll never think of gear the same way either so they really liked him in chicago i mean i I suppose that's nice but he was a dancer Uh, runners-up for breakaway performance that year, to gear, were Christopher Walken for Catch Me If You Can. I don't know what they mean by breakaway, essentially. It's just, like, I guess, like, doing something different than you normally do. Um, Which I guess for Christopher Walken was, like, being good in a movie again? Um, Making you cry? Right. Robin Williams for One Hour Photo, so that fits, right? He's doing the scary guy thing and then yeah. maggie smith for divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood which okay do you want to know what film got the most sure. nominations that year in 2002 uh about schmidt no that got two nominations leading the pack with four our favorite miramax movie the quiet american <laughs> So if you wanted to know who was watching The Quiet American, as we have often wondered aloud, it was every member of AARP. So,
1: Do we think AARP would have been pissed they couldn't nominate Hillary and Jackie for anything? Yes, they do. Who would love a cello movie more
0: than AARP at that point? I say no one. They did also give hey, best director that year to Roman Polanski for the pianist. So truly, nobody in Hollywood's hands are clean from that year. Everybody from the Academy to the AARP all have to live with the fact that they gave Roman Polanski award in the 21st century. So, there we go. All right. What do you have to say about the supporting actress category at the MCG?
1: I really wanted to go into the history of supporting actress at AARP movie for grown-ups. Okay. They only might, added it, like, a few, a while into the run, right? They never used to- Yeah, there's only, like, 15 years worth. They do it first in the 06 race. The first supporting actress winner is Ruby D for American Gangster, as I'm sure we could have imagined. There's only ever two times they've overlapped with Oscar. Can you guess which two those were? So if Ruby D was the first, so that's
0: 07, so 07 onwards... Only twice. I want to get this right. So AARP. So it's probably someone older. So not like Penelope. Not like. Probably not Melissa Leo, but I'm not going to rule her out either. Um. Is one of them Octavia in the Help?
1: No. Okay.
0: She might not have been old enough. Yeah, I just thought that they might just like, you know, like the help enough to fudge it.
1: Um, all right, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. Not perhaps one of the stars of the help is an overlap. Oh, Viola for fences? Correct. All right. And
0: Is it recent? It is rather recent. It is rather recent. It is, is it, um... Um... Oh, God. I want to get this. I was going to say Glenn Close, but she didn't win for, uh... Supporting. She didn't, no. well, she didn't win. She was
1: nominated for Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, I'm sure. Um, This is a, um, someone who is having a moment. Everybody was giving this person... Uh, trophies, except for basically the Tonys and the Grammys, but movies for grown-ups also included. Regina King. No. Well, every Laura Dern for Marriage. Oh, City. wow.
0: Alright. That's good. I like
1: that. That's We're going good. back. I want to. I want to take us back through winners. I can. I will. Maybe I won't see if we can uh, guess if there's any uh, notable weirdness. I will call those out. But I want to go from most recent to back in time. I promise you, I am ending with a bang. It is the reason I want to talk about okay. supporting actress and movies for grown-ups. Okay. Also, supporting actress is everybody's favorite category. It but is. If it's not your favorite category move along what are you doing there are other podcasts yes, for you that's right um okay most recent winner uh jodie foster for the mauritanian remember wow. the wow i forgot that she backed up her golden globe win with a win for the with at the aarp that's fantastic good for her indeed she did also that year uh movies for grown-ups knew what was up they were i think the only awards body to nominate candace bergen and let them yes, the talk. they good were i'm on they that were. she should have won yeah um before that, Laura Dern for Marriage Story. By the way, AARP's Movies for Grown Ups did nominate Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. Yep. That is awesome. Yep. Uh, before that, uh, the aforementioned Judy Dench for All is True. Uh, year before that, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird beating Allison Janney. I believe the only place she beat Allison Janney. All right. Very good year before that, Viola Davis for Fences. They also had uh, the gumption to nominate the great Molly Shannon for Other People. Yes! Who won the Indie Spirit that year. Yes. Uh, the year before that, Diane Ladd wins for Joy. Get out with of here. Not, not a single Oscar nominee in the bunch, I should also add. Get out of here. That's amazing. Diane Ladd. Wow. Diane Ladd for Joy nominated against Joan Allen for Room. Justice for James Isabella Fondo Rossellini for
0: in Joy, I will say.
1: Like, oh yes. No uh, disrespect adversary to Diane Ladd, etc., cetera, et cetera. But
0: yeah, uh, yeah, adversary in commerce.
1: Our own favorite uh, Helen Mirren in, in Trumbo commerce. and uh Cynthia Nixon for James White. Right, that movie. Yeah. Uh next year, uh tw- is this 2013? Uh, 2014 it says. Um Rene Russo for Nightcrawler. Good call. Love that. Going backwards, Oprah Winfrey for The Butler. Listen to our episode on The Butler. Yep. Yeah. Before that, you can blame this uh, somewhat surprise nomination that people were scratching their heads over. Blame the AARP's. They gave it to Jackie Weaver for The Silver Linings Playbook. Wow. Listen,
0: who doesn't love uh, Krabby Patties and and homemade snacks better? Than
1: retirees.
0: No one, I say.
1: Previous year, you guessed that Octavia Spencer would have won for the help. She was not nominated. One of her co stars was. Sissy. Can you guess who it was? Was it Miss Sissy? It was Allison Janney. Wow! Ta- Taylor may They nominated Allison Janney for the help. Sure. Can you guess the only Oscar nominee who was nominated? I mean probably McTeer. Yes, Janet McTier. Yeah. Well done. Uh the winner is Vanessa Redgrave for Coriolanus. Alanis. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Year before that, Felicia Rashad for Four Colored Girls. Wow. Coming into the home stretch, the next uh the previous year before that also with no Oscar nominees uh We do have to take a moment to say they nominated Susan Sarandon for The Lovely Bones, probably for The Tomb in the Middle of Her House. Of course! For The Tomb in the Middle of Your House! Uh, The winner, however, was Kim Basinger for The Burning Plain. Wow. Wow. A serve. (laughs) Okay, so... 2009, Kim Basinger wins for The Burning Plain with... Uh, what I can't imagine that like I've not seen the burning plane, but I can't imagine that she's better than a tomb in the middle of your house. So as I mentioned, the first winner was Ruby D, in American Gangster, but I am trying to get to 2008. The other nominees were Kim Cattrall, Sex in the City, Bette Midler, The Helen Hunt film, Then She Found Me, mm-hmm. uh, Deborah Winger, and Rachel Getting Married. And Cloris Leachman in The Women. Right. If that lineup wasn't enough to tell you that they were fully on one in the year of 2008, the winners, which as I mentioned, are a tie, but they are nominated together in the same slot. What other two performances could you put together for a single nomination and a win other than Christine Baranski and Julie Walters, Walters. Oh God, no way! <gasps> <laughs> Supporting Actress winners: Julie Walters and Christine Baranski for *Mamma Mia*. See, I think this is why.
0: This is why we love them. This Who else would do this? Them. Who else would have the the chutzpah to do this? No one. As far as I'm concerned.
1: No one would. I'm going to pull this up and see where else Mamma Mia was. It was not Best Movies for Grown Ups. Not even nominated. What what, what what? are you here for? What are you here for if you're not going to nominate Mamma Mia elsewhere? However, they did have the kindness in their hearts to nominate Pierce Brosnan for Supporting Actor. Oh no!
0: Oh no! Where did it all go wrong? Right here. Right here is where it exactly. all went wrong.
1: Uh, and they nominated it for uh Best Grown-Up Love Story, and Best Buddy Picture as well. Not Best Movies for Grown-Ups.
0: I love a movie that can be both a grown-up love story and a buddy picture, though. And Mamma Mia definitely qualifies. It's definitely both. It's definitely both. It's
1: also an intergenerational film, but it is not uh, nominated there.
0: Well, that's bullshit. What was?
1: Uh, Best Intergenerational Film that year. The Visitor Wins. Also nominated Rachel Getting Married grand torino no i agree uh curious case of benjamin button i guess it's intergenerational for just within, a single person
0: within the same character <laughs> oh man i mean listen as advertised it is an intergenerational uh movie so there we go
1: also the last nominee is forgotten movie smart people the sarah jessica parker Elliot page movie
0: Oh, wow. Fully forgotten. Absolutely forgotten.
1: Never even saw. Never even saw.
0: Nope, neither did I. Alright.
1: Joe, do you have any last notes on All Is True or Kenneth Branagh? What is your favorite Kenneth Branagh-directed movie?
0: I mean, I should give the embarrassing caveat that... (laughs) I've still never seen either Henry V or his 8 billion hours long Hamlet.
1: I have not seen Henry V and that. I am hoping to do before the end of the season.
0: Because I I have been doing
1: catching up to Kenneth Branagh directed movies. Uh, You and I are both Mary Shelley's Frankenstein apologists. But...
0: (laughs) I haven't seen it nearly as recently as you have. I saw it when I was a teenager. I don't know how I feel about it as an adult. Uh,
1: Definitely get on that. Uh, Crack a bottle of wine and watch that movie. But I would say, you know, Much Ado About Nothing, which we've talked about, we have an episode on, is a lot of fun. I really like that one. the one that I would say is his or at least my favorite of his directed movies, is an imperfect movie, and it is definitely a real-time capsule of the time that it was made. But I think you need to catch up to Peter's Friends. <laughs> I saw
0: Peter's Friends only a few years ago. I liked it. Oh, okay. It. I, I didn't good.
1: realize that you'd seen it. Um... I
0: had done um, mixed reviews, uh, Emma Thompson. And oh, so I watched, right. What I a I watched fun Peter's episode. Friends for that. Yeah. It was good. It's a cute little movie. I liked it.
1: I I really, really liked it. Uh for as yeah. like dated as it is, I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah,
0: Should we move on is. to the IMDB game? Yes, why don't we? Why don't you tell us and our listeners what the IMDb game is all about?
1: Alright guys, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb uh, says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voiceover performances or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free for all of hints. That's the sure IMDb it game.
0: All right, Chris, I'm going to give you the option of giving first or guessing first.
1: I would like to give first this okay. week. Okay,
0: let's hear it.
1: So the ARP movie for grown-ups year that we are talking about, I wanted to challenge you with one of their legendary performers that won this year, not for a competitive prize, but for the lifetime achievement. Who oh. could I be talking about other than one... And the only is Shirley MacLaine.
0: Oh, I love Shirley MacLaine.
1: You know I do. You Everybody I should.
0: Shirley. All if right. you don't, you're wrong. <laughs> okay, so Shirley MacLaine is a challenge because she has uh, worked over many decades.
1: She has. many
0: popular movies across those decades. I feel like I would be shocked if The Apartment was not on this list.
1: The Apartment is on there.
0: Okay. I would be shocked if Terms of Endearment were not on the list.
1: Correct! Her Oscar win.
0: Okay. So now the question is, do I move up into some of her newer, more recent roles, or do I dip back into some classics? I'm going to say... That sweet charity is one of them.
1: Sweet charity is not one of them.
0: Come on! I know it was the such a big charity. part of her. It was such a big part of her Kennedy Center Honors uh, uh, presentation. Fine. Okay. <laughs> so let's see with Shirley. I feel like there's some like, like I don't think the Children's Hour is going to be one of them. I'm trying to think of like what are the like more notable younger shirley MacLaine performances um like i don't think the evening star is going to be one of them for her newer performances i love in her shoes as i know you do as well i do indeed but is that enough of a shirley MacLaine movie you know what because she's on the poster of it i'm gonna guess postcards from the edge
1: Incorrect. No postcards Damn. from the edge. Damn. So, uh, your two years are 1955. Yeah. And 1989. Eighty nine. Oh, steel magnolia. Steel magnolia. Miss
0: Weezer. Yeah. You are picked from, from hell. From hell. <laughs> <Jinx>. <laughs>
1: All gay men are named Mark Ricker or Steve, and they have track lighting. Weezer, how's your how's your nephew, the one that installed your track lighting? Steve's fine. Uh,
0: oh, what a wonderful movie! Okay, all right. I'm glad that that's one of hers. All right, 1955 is where I'm going to run into some problems. Is it the western she made with Clint Eastwood?
1: It is not a Western. It is a genre movie. It is a thriller, perhaps from a director who is very famous for making thrillers. Did she do a Hitchcock? She did do a Hitchcock.
0: Oh God! The fact this that is a I Hitchcock had to ask probably
1: like, doesn't bode well. This is like the like maybe even C tier Hitchcock, but they do include it in the box sets.
0: Hmm. Okay, so. God, this is such a process of elimination. Like, I know it's not The Birds. I know it's not Marnie. I know it's not um, Rebecca. I know it's not Psycho or Vertigo or North by Northwest or Rear Window. Huh. Is it? Oh. Okay. Is the title a lot of words or one word?
1: (laughs) The title is four words. I will also say this is her film debut.
0: Okay. Um well, the two that I was thinking of are neither uh, neither one of those are forward titles. So, okay. <laughs> okay.
1: Were you thinking of like The Man Who Knew Too Much? That's Doris Day.
0: I was thinking of The Man Who Knew Too Much and I was thinking of he's notorious, right? He, he directed Notorious? Yes. Notorious
1: okay. is uh Bergman.
0: Is Bergman, right?
1: Yeah. Um Notorious rules. Notorious I've not is seen
0: one of my it. I should. I should. I should
1: see it. Oh, you love Um
0: it. okay.
1: Bergman is really good playing drunk in that movie.
0: <laughs> oh, I do love that idea.
1: Okay. Um, uh, the first word is the. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and the last word is a name. Like a person's name. A
0: person's name, right. Um,
1: A man's name.
0: The truth about Harry.
1: The trouble with Harry. The
0: trouble with Harry, right. I was thinking, the truth about Charlie? I'm such a fraud. <laughs> I'm so fraudulent. I'm so sorry. Um right
1: what is it okay Hitchcock
0: That's one of those ones where I know the title but I know almost know almost nothing about what it what it actually is.
1: It's fine. There's yeah. a dead body in this village. Who's the guy who's the male lead? uh that I forget let me look this up. Oh John Forsyth oh like
0: Charlie's Angels, John Forsyth.
1: No I mean yes. much before Charlie's angels
0: right but that the, that same guy yeah okay interesting. Alright, I'm so sorry, Shirley. I failed you, my my queen, my, my legend. I feel bad <laughs> now. Okay, alright. For you, Chris, I, of course, we made note earlier that All is True was uh, released the year before that two of its stars reunited for one of the cinematic uh, achievements of 2019, uh, Judi Dench and Ian McKellen, as two of the titular cats. So those two were among my favorite performances in that movie if not my two favorite performances in that movie one of my not favorite performances in that movie was given by one rebel wilson so oh no i'm going to make you guess rebel wilson's known for
1: okay there's not that many rebel wilson movies is caps
0: on there Cats is not on there, so strike one. I bet
1: you, like though. everybody is trying to get cats like scrubbed from <laughs> <SMA>.
0: <laughs> right. And i fielding a lot of calls,
1: yeah. Uh, well, bridesmaids,
0: yes, bridesmaids. Okay, how but to be Bridesmaids single. is a good get because a lot of people forget that that's the first thing that a lot of people saw her in.
1: She's really funny in bridesmaids, sure. Um, how to be single. Not How to Be Single. Okay.
0: So that's two strikes. So you get years. Your years are 2012 and then two movies from 2019.
1: Uh, what was the 2019 movie that she's like the lead? Um... Correct. I just want to call it How to Be Single. <laughs> it's, right. Um, uh... It's not How to Be Single. She's actually lead. wait. She's in uh, Jojo Rabbit. Well,
0: that's one of them.
1: It's yeah, the so she's Jojo's the one of them. But Jojo uh, Rabbit, 2012 is the year after Bridesmaids. So was Pitch Perfect that soon after Bridesmaids?
0: Pitch Perfect. It okay. Was 2012. Yep. Yep. You got it. All right. I know. I
1: know that the one where she is the lead and the poster is her, just her. Yep.
0: What genre is
1: it in? I mean, it's a rom com. I just can't remember the name right. of the movie. Well, maybe spell those or
0: give give me the full words of those.
1: Romantic comedy. Uh
0: huh. What's one of those words?
1: <laughs> comedy. No. How about romantic? The other one? Is yeah. romantic in the title? Yes. I guarantee you, I'm not going to be able to get it because that's totally what's, uh not in the ballpark i was in
0: what's a common phrase with that word in it that like could be like a question like but a rhetorical question like
1: that is maybe the whatever happened to the romantic comedy
0: yes that's what it's called it is rebel wilson in whatever happened to the romantic comedy It is a parody <laughs> marielle of... <laughs> heller's uh whatever happened to the romantic comedy of course it's... we would watch that it is Rebel Wilson. Wait, I want to give you the cast of this movie because actually it is okay. Um, Rebel Wilson, Liam Hemsworth, Priyanka Chopra, uh, Betty Gilpin actually kind of rules in this movie. Uh, Adam Devine, whatever. Always rules. Um, Brandon Scott Jones is actually really, really wonderful and funny in that movie. I love Brandon Scott Jones. Um, I believe. I thought Bo and Yang showed up in this movie, but maybe not. Um, Jennifer Saunders plays her mother. Which, let's celebrate that. I feel Fabulous. like her mom was like very like. There was a lot of wine like to that character. It's called, isn't it romantic? Sure. I love Again. that
1: I can remember the poster for this movie, but not the title. Maybe that's why I didn't make that much money because it had that the was most the thing. The, title. The,
0: the, the idea of that one was that like something happens and like all of a sudden everything in her life starts behaving like she's in a romantic comedy gotcha like that's the that's the that's the conceit it's fine it's i it was one Didn't of those we movies already that have i feel s- pretty like that sounds like i feel pretty i mean it was around that time like i feel like that was probably a trend at that point um it was one of those movies i saw uh, at the grove in la like it's my <laughs> it's part of my grove uh story so and that would have been no that was 2019 so that wasn't my uh my last pre-pandemic activity, my Grove adventure in 2020, when I saw Gretel and Hansel and, uh, um, Ooh, what's the, what's the force majeure remake called downhill Uh, downhill? Yeah.
1: Those were the two. <laughs> and then everything went to uh-huh. shit.
0: Uh-huh. Basically. Yes. Basically. That's what happened. I saw downhill. I held an Oscar on the Warner brothers studio tour, and then the world ended. So truly, uh, <laughs> uh appropriate. All right. Uh, yes. Good job with the uh, with the Rebel Wilson, IMDb game. Very, very good. All right. Thank you, sir, Chris. That is our episode. Listeners, if you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, I know the answer to this question, so it's more a rhetorical question for me. But why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and your stuff?
1: Uh, I am on Twitter and Letterboxd uh, at Chris v File. That's F-E-I-L. All right. I
0: am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D.
1: I am also on
0: Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So write us a nice review and then tell your dad your brother wrote it instead. Uh, that is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz.